You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast, the Memorial Day episode of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. We're, we're going to make sure we give you content every week throughout the off season, And this is no exception, even though I am alone today. I am riding solo. Your host, Kevin Parker, here uh, to take you through the week, whether you're listening on Monday uh, or whether you took advantage of, of the weekend, went out on the water, went out wherever the wherever the wind took you hope you enjoyed memorial day weekend from <clears throat> on behalf of myself on behalf of my co-host scott who is uh who is unavailable here today to any veterans listening to the podcast to any families of veterans we we very much appreciate your service but we got a lot of stuff to get into here today i i put out a call for the mailbag uh to make sure that you guys can guide me here as I don't have Scott to kind of bounce some ideas off of for this week's episode. I wanted to put out a mailbag call. You guys came in clutch with some great questions. And there's a couple talking points that we're going to get into before that as well. So before we get to any of that, want to make sure that you guys know where to find us on the social media platforms we are at standing room msu on twitter that's at standing room msu on instagram you can find us at standing room spartans and you can always feel free to send us an email standing room spartans at gmail.com so whenever we do a future episode for the mailbag we usually put out the call on twitter but if you have any questions for us and you want to send us an email at any time, that's standingroomspartans at gmail.com. We'll make sure we get that into uh, whatever the next episode is. So for all of you listening constantly that are subscribed to the podcast, that are sharing with your friends, we very much appreciate you. As we inch closer and closer, the countdown has begun. I have been doing this for a couple of years on Twitter. We'll do the countdown uh, for how many days we are from kickoff. So the the opening kickoff has been announced. Northwestern, September 3rd, Friday Night Lights, which means that at the time of recording here on Saturday, we are 97 days away from Michigan State football. Uh, I don't have the tweet made up yet, but 97. Let's see, we got Tyler Hunt. On the current roster, I think Demetrius Cooper 
was one defensive end from uh from that 2015 team i believe was number 97 um we just been we will do this the the whole way through so we'll we'll pick a player if you guys have any suggestions if if any of your favorite spartans if you are a family member of a former spartan and you know your your brother your cousin your friend your favorite player war number 82 war number 71 whatever it is uh, again feel free to hit us up uh, on email social media whatever it is and we'll make sure we get you into the countdown here but yeah we had 99 was kicked off by Jarrell Worthy one of the greatest defensive linemen in Michigan State history number 98 Cole Hahn my guy kickoff specialist uh, and then 97 today, 96, 95 will be on Monday. 95, we know the great Bubba Smith. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's something that gets a lot of engagement on, on Twitter and something that I know you guys appreciate. So other than that, not a whole lot going around the program. The big news was uh, a couple win totals came out in Vegas. I'll hit on that before getting to the mailbag questions. And then basically, other than that, there's one thing I want to start this with, because this was kind of making its rounds uh, in terms of national media. And there's a there's a running back out of the state of Texas goes by the name of Jaden Blue. Um, The reason he's in the news, he has decided to opt out of his senior season in high school to prepare for his time. He he has a scholarship offer. He is committed to the University of Texas. I don't get it, man. I I really, I tried to look at this through the lens of the player and said, okay, you know, I, I love football. I love high school football. I love college football. I love NFL football. I love watching. I love, I loved my time playing. Um, and it just rubs me the wrong way. The idea that you're skipping your senior year of high school, man. Senior year of high school is it's it's one of those things that everybody, every football player, you know, you you go into interviews when they get drafted in the NFL, when they're retiring from the NFL. What was your favorite moment in the game? What was your favorite? 90% of them go back to high school and they say, you know, at state championship run, we had my senior year where it was, it wasn't about anything except for the love of the game. There wasn't any money involved. There wasn't any, you know, pressure. It was just kids playing the game because we loved playing the game. And so the idea that you're skipping out on that because you're going to prepare yourself for the NFL doesn't make any sense it just it doesn't click with me I, I don't get it and again I, I tried to look at this through the lens of the player and say okay you know he's trying to to preserve his body he's in it for longevity okay there was something going around where he's had like 500 carries in his time in high school already it's not that many it's not that many and yeah okay running backs the the longevity is a problem well you know i could look at a guy like frank gore i could look at a guy like adrian peters yeah these are you know rare exceptions to the rule but there are running backs who play into their late 30s man this isn't like 
it's not a death sentence once you turn 25 your your cake i just it rubs me the wrong way man and, and i think when it goes to okay we you know player empowerment and all that of course it's his decision i i completely respect that and he has the ability in this country in this game that we play to do whatever the hell he wants and i respect the hell out of it and he's got the guns to to basically say f off uh i'm making the decision that's best for me like i respect that to a certain level but i just wonder if he's getting the best advice because i think it's easy on paper to say yeah he's saving his legs he's uh he's conserving conservation you know but how much toll does a high school hit really take on the body? I, I'm I'm asking this seriously. There's a risk of injury anytime you step onto any field. There's a risk of injury in training. There, we see non-contact injuries all the time. So, the, yeah, the risk of injury, sure. The wear and tear on your body, though, I just don't see that at the high school level. I really don't. I, I think... You start getting into college and the NFL, especially, and, and you're taking hits consistently from, you know, 260 pound dudes who are running like a four, five, 40. Of course, that takes a toll on your body. The average high school kid he throws a shoulder into you. It's not really going to do that much long term. Uh, let's be honest here. So, I wonder about the advice that that he's getting. I, I really do. And I really hope this isn't becoming a trend because I think Danny Cannell was talking about as a, a national college football guy. And I said, like, you know, it just rubs me the wrong way that somewhere along the line here with you look at the NBA, you got guys that are sitting out doing their, you know, whether the rest days or whatever. You just wonder how much these guys love playing the game. And again, you know, they can do whatever the hell they want. And and it's their money, it's their future, it's their career. I I'm not judging it. I just as a fan, it does upset me a little bit. And I think a lot of people feel the same way and maybe are afraid to voice that opinion because it does seem to be the popular side of the argument to say, well, player empowerment, player empowerment. And I'm all for player empowerment. I just think we have different definitions of it. I, I just wonder again, is this the right decision? And maybe he's talked to people, but how many times have we seen high level four or five star recruits just not work out? It happens all the time. So I don't know, man. I I just it it calls into question do, do you really love the game of football? And if you don't really love the game of football, you have to have otherworldly talent to succeed in the game of football. It's just the way it is. It, some of these guys can succeed without loving the game. If Derrick Henry didn't love football, he would still be a Pro Bowl NFL running back because he's like 6'4", 260 pounds. He runs a 4'4", Some dudes are just gifted like that. Most people aren't. So if you aren't at that peak, peak elite 1% of the 1% physically, you have to love the game, man, to be put in that type of work to get to that level. You have to be coming in working two, three hours every single day. And I just, 
I wonder about some of these kids now, man. I, I really do. So I, I just, I wanted to get that out because I put a little tweet out on Twitter, but you can't really express your thoughts in the, in the short, you know, what, 140 characters or whatever. So I, I wanted to make sure I gave some time to that uh, before we kick things off here because I, it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Uh, but it's, it is pretty cool that I have this platform to, to speak to uh, to people and, and share my opinions about stuff like that because I, I think it is a, a national story that got a bit of attention. I wanted to make sure I hit on it. Other than that, getting back to the MSU stuff here. So uh, a, a little bit of news was DraftKings released their win total over-unders for, for the season. Um, as far as you can put down a future bet, you know, how many wins will Michigan State have this year? DraftKings was set at an even four. Will they have more than four wins? Will they have less than four wins? Um, or or if it pushes, if we hit exactly four, you get your money back, right? I was, I was checking out a few other books. Um, Caesars Las Vegas has us at four and a half betonline.ag has us at four and a half. I, I think that's probably a little closer. I honestly would have expected five and a half. Uh, so I think if, if you bet with DraftKings, if you're out there and, and you, I, I would take that over, man. I, I, and I don't even think it's really like, you know, Oh, green colored glasses or anything. Four wins. is not that many, man. We had two wins in seven games last year and we were bad last year. I think everybody can agree that the roster is better right now than it was last year. And we finally have an off season to, to get some preparation. And when you look at the schedule, so I see eight games, Northwestern, Youngstown state, Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Michigan, Purdue, Maryland, right? Those are eight games. I think we should expectation, not now we maybe, I think we should win four of those eight games. Again, Northwestern, we beat last year. Youngstown State should be a win. Nebraska is not a good program, right? They haven't been to a bowl game since Scott Frost got hired. Western Kentucky, we should beat them. Rutgers, we hung with Rutgers turning the ball over seven times last year. I know Rutgers is a feel-good story with Greg Schiano, and they got some recruiting coming in. They, they're a better program than they were, 100%. But we hung with them when we turned the ball over seven times and Rocky Lombardi was our quarterback last year. So you're telling me we can't beat Rutgers this year, then I, I don't know what to tell you. I, we should win that game still. Michigan, their program's in a, in a pretty tough spot right now. We beat them last year. It's a rivalry game. We can beat them any any given season. I, I don't care. I'm putting them on that list. Purdue, they're in a tough spot. Maryland has always been towards the bottom of the Big Ten, especially with Mike Loxley, their head coach. I just don't think is any good. So if we get four out of those eight wins, there you go. Okay. Then we got three games I see here. Miami, Indiana, Penn State. I think we could steal one of those games. Miami on the road, their star quarterback, De'Eric King, he's coming off a knee injury. This is early in the season. Uh, maybe he's not 100%. I think we could catch him there. Indiana, I, I think I love what they're doing with that program, but they're not Ohio State talented. I, I think we could absolutely catch them. We're definitely going to be underdogs in that game, but we can catch them. Penn State. We we were winning that game for the, the first half and then just kind of fell apart towards the end. But I think Penn State is far from an Ohio State level. You know, we're, we're not going to hang with them. Ohio State, I just put, we're not going to win that game. Okay, we eliminate that game from the list. But 
you take those first eight games, I think we should be able to win four of them. I think we easily could win five or six. And then you count in a Miami and Indiana, Penn State. We could steal one of those games. I think over four is easy. I think over four and a half, you should feel pretty comfortable with. If it was five and a half, I still might go over. I think this is a bowl team. I, I think this is a six and six football team. Other than that, let's get to the mailbag because there are a lot of great questions and I want to make sure I can give some time to all of them. We have Spartan Bot, our guy, Spartan18770 on Twitter. Spartan Bot always comes in with some great questions. First one, he says, will the MSU fan base be happy if we are a 9 or 10 win program under Tucker? I think this is a really interesting question, and I think it just depends on on how you view the MSU program as a whole. So I did some research. Since 1990, that was when Penn State was added to the Big Ten, and we added another conference game. So that took the regular season, quote-unquote, from 11 games to 12 games. So we're kind of looking at an even sample size here. Since 1990, it's, what, 30 years we have won nine or more games eight times. So eight times in 30 years, we've won nine or more games, more than 10 wins. So he said, you know, are, are we happy to be a nine or 10 win program? That's assuming, or that's that's kind of including in the question, are, are you fine with not winning more than 10 games, right? We've only done that five times, right? So five times in 30 years where we've won more than 10, and that was all in the D'Antonio run. It was 2010, 2011, 2013, 14, 15. So I think the simple answer here is yes. I think the MSU fan base as a whole, if we're talking, of course, there will be outliers one way or the other. But I think as a whole, if you pulled the entire MSU fan base, you would get probably 75% or more that would say, hey, if we're winning nine or 10 games every year, yeah, I'm cool with that. Wisconsin. I think everybody would be happy to be Wisconsin right now. They're a nine or 10 win football team. They've had a couple 11 win seasons here, but most of those are coming with the addition of a bowl game, right? So they're, they're a 10 win team that gets into a bowl, wins a bowl game and gets them to 11. And that's a couple of the seasons with D'Antonio was 11 win or 10 wins. And then winning the cotton bowl gets us to 11, uh, 10 wins, winning the Outback Bowl under Kirk Cousins got us to 11. So I think the answer is yes. I think most people will be fine with that. Would I be happy with that? Man, I, I was bouncing back and forth on this one. I, I really don't know. If you told me that we are going to win nine or 10 games every single year. We're never going to have a bad year. We're never going to be a, an under 500 team. We're going to make a decent bowl game every single year, but we will never win more than 10 games. Would you take that hypothetical, right? Sitting in your car, sitting in your office, sitting on the boat, wherever you are right now, think about that. Cause I think that's really interesting. That's, that's a hypothetical, right? If you could take one or the other, you're going to win nine or 10 games every single year, every year that Mel Tucker is here, but you're never going to win more than 10, which means you're never going to have a shot at, you're never going to have a realistic shot to win the Big Ten Conference. You're never going to have a shot to go to a, a college football playoff as it's currently constructed. 
You're never going to win more than 10, but you're never going to have a, a five, six, seven win team. I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd take door number two. I think I'd take the possibility of more because I, I do think this program is capable of more. I think our facilities continue to improve year after year. I think D'Antonio showed how exciting it is when, when you get a chance to win the big 10 and go to a Rose bowl. So yeah, the three and nine sucks. The seven and six sucks. The two and five sucks, but just remembering how sweet it was 2013, 2000, I mean, shoot, 2010, 2011 were fun. 2015 was fun, man. So I, th- I think I'd take door number two. Um, but yeah, to answer the question, I think most people would be happy if we're a nine or 10 win football team. That's again, that's where Wisconsin's at. That's where Iowa has been for a long time. I, th- I think that's, that's a good spot to be at as a fan when you know, your program is going to go out and compete every game is going to win most of the games on their schedule. I think that's a good place to be for most college football fans. If D'Antonio had read this Spartan bot again, if D'Antonio had retired after the 2020 season rather than before. So if D'Antonio coached this season and what we know about the financial difficulties from the pandemic would MSU have paid the next coach six million a year? First of all, I got a it's five and a half a year, five and a half and six. I know we can round up, but that's taken taken some liberties there. Um so I think this so I took this a, a, a couple ways, right? In general, like what would have happened if D'Antonio had coached this last season and then retired, you know, right after the season where we're able to to get out in the regular coaching market. So first of all, I I think as far as wins and losses in 2020, I, I don't think much changes. I just think there wasn't talent on the team. And yeah, we're probably winning somewhere between zero and three games, right? Um but what would have happened if we go into the off season and you have the whole off season to, to, to look at your candidates? Uh, and, and then as far as the financial part too, right? The, the pandemic affecting everything, would it have affected the salary that we would have offered, the contract we would have offered and all of that? Uh, I, I took a, a quick glance at some of the other coaches that were hired this year. Brian Harson at Auburn. They Auburn is Auburn's a different level program than we are, but they're paying Gus Malzone almost $20 million in his buyout. So they're paying him almost $20 million not to coach. And they're paying their new coach, Brian Harson five and a half million a year about the same contract as Mel Tucker. So as far as like pandemic affecting spending, it sure as hell didn't count for Auburn. Um, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, again, different level program, different amount of money that's available, but they're paying Steve Sarkeesian more money than we're paying Mel Tucker. Uh, As far as maybe some more comparable schools, Josh Heupel at Tennessee was making just over $4 million a year. Uh, Brett Bielema is making four and a half at Illinois. You have... I think a little bit of a dip in the market from this year, but not much. I I don't think a whole lot changed. Again, teams are still willing to pay buyouts. Teams are still willing to pay big money. So 
Mel Tucker, I think, still would have been the guy, assuming that he would have had a pretty good season at Colorado. They they were pretty good this year with some of the guys that he brought in. I, I think he would have, you know, in the second year there with with that whole staff together, I think he would have been, a, you know, a bowl level team. So I think Mel Tucker still probably would have been the guy. And I think the contract would have, it maybe would have dipped. And I, and I think it's less because of the pandemic and more because of the circumstance, the change in circumstance, because I think the reason we had to double down and, and go in a little bit further on the salary that we offered the second time around was because of the circumstances surrounding the NCAA poking around the program, how late it was in the process, how he knew it was too late to get any of his guys in. I think a lot of that carried a lot of weight in his decision to, to say no the first time. It's like when we came in and offered a reasonable salary compared to a lot of these other schools like Brett Bielema at Illinois or Josh Heupel at Tennessee, around four, four and a half million, I think he looked at the situation and said, man, there, there is a possibility of NCAA sanctions coming down. At that time, remember, there was a possibility, as annoying as it was to all of us, that was something that was hanging around the program and just how late it was in the process. It was after signing day, and, and he couldn't flip any of his recruits over to us. He couldn't get any of tr- any transfers in. It was just so late in the process that I think he was, you know what, like, I'm going to wait for a better opportunity. And then when we came back with the second offer, it, it was too good to turn down. It was the godfather offer, right? It, it was, you couldn't refuse. So I think the salary might have changed, but not because of the pandemic affecting the spending, but rather just because of the the overall change in circumstances. So, but I do think Mel Tucker still probably would have been the guy. When you look at some of the guys that were hired around this year, Jed Fish, Shane Beamer, I, I, there weren't a lot of great candidates. So um, happy Mel Tucker came in. Happy that he he at least got the season off last year, and, and we'll see what he can do in the future here to earn that contract, to earn that salary. Last one from Spartan Bot. What types of beer will be sold at Spartan Stadium in 2022? I'm personally hoping for heavy stout or porter beers. Spartan Bot, I knew I loved you, but now it's another level, man. Dark beers for life. Dark beers for life. I love dark beers. I love stouts. I love porters. And especially if we're talking, you know, late October, early November, you know, we always got like Penn State that last game of the year. It's miserably cold. You give me a a nice porter sitting in the oh that that just sounds fantastic. I did take a little peek around. So in the Big Ten, we have Ohio State, Maryland, Rutgers, Purdue, Minnesota, and Indiana all currently sell alcohol at the stadium. There are a lot of different like stipulations as far as they only sell it until halftime or they only sell it till the third quarter. You can only use you know, you can only have like one transaction or something was, of course, people are going to find ways around all of that. Right. But, um, they all pretty much had, uh, craft beer options. So you have your, your Bud Light, your Miller Light, 
um, whatever the, the kind of regional preference is. And then they all had multiple craft beer options. So I would be shocked if we didn't see that, especially in a beer state like Michigan. You're going to have Bells. You're going to have Founders. You're going to have um, Atwater. Atwater is a Detroit brewery that I highly recommend if anybody hasn't had Atwater beer. MSU grad who started the the brewery phenomenal beer. Everything I've had there has been outstanding. They have a Mike Sadler uh, tribute beer. They have their vanilla Java Porter is phenomenal. Uh, a lot of great beers. I'm guessing they will be selling at, at Spartan Stadium whenever that time comes. Again, Spartan grad. Check it out. Atwater, right next to the river, uh, near Belle Isle in Detroit is the, is the brew house. It's phenomenal. They have a rooftop. Great spot uh, for the summertime. And for any time of the year, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I think craft beer is definitely going to be there, uh, just depending on how many options we have, which uh, with Michigan State concessions, this is a whole nother story because um, knowing the rest of our concessions program, uh, we might be a little light on the options. Who knows? Scott L. Brown, a consistent uh, guy in the mailbag, and we always appreciate his questions. He says, who is the toughest player to play for D'Antonio? Also, Monday being Memorial Day, please take a moment to remember all those who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. Um, Scott absolutely mentioned it at the top of the podcast. Um, but the toughest player to play for D'Antonio, I, I, I was just off the top of my head, I threw a couple names down. Jack Allen was one that, that really came to mind. Just a tough ass dude in the middle of the offensive line. Danikos Allen undersized, always giving maximum effort, maximum toughness. Every play Jarrell worthy was just one of those guys who, who commanded double teams. He fought through double teams. He on the, the defensive tackle spot, that, that's always a tough position to play. Benny Fowler was one that came to mind. Just always making tough catches over the middle, always getting hit, was never the highly rated recruit, was never the guy that you know was coming in with a starting job guaranteed, but just fought his way to a position, fought his way to playing time, fought his way to targets. And when he did get those targets, he often fought his way to, to hang on to the ball because... Man, that was a tough SOB. But the guy I ultimately landed with, Javon Ringer, man. Javon Ringer had 843 carries and 96 catches in his college career. 939 touches from scrimmage and 15 kick returns. This dude put his body through the ringer his senior season. 2008. So he had 390 carries in 2008, which was number one in all of college football. So I, I was curious. I was like, oh, what, what were the other guys up there? So top five of, of number of rushing attempts in college football in, in the year 2008. Number five, you had 307. That was actually Sean Green at Iowa, who stole an award from Javon Ringer that year, and I'm always upset about it. 308 was LaShawn McCoy from Pittsburgh, 322, 367, and 390. So the difference between number one and number five countrywide was about seven carries a game. That's a huge number. Not, not between number one and number 20, 
between number one and number five in the country was about seven carries per game. He got the ball every single time. Defenses knew exactly what we were going to do. We were going to give the ball to to Javon Ringer, even though there was a nine-man box, and it didn't matter. He was going to get punished. He was going to get hit. He was going to break tackles. He was going to dish out some punishment. That was a tough son of a bitch, and holy hell, man, Javon Ringer was, was the one that ultimately stood out by far. Uh, AP, so Aaron K. Patel, this is, this is a Rutgers fan. Uh, this is somebody who I recently got added to some Big Ten group chat on Twitter, uh, which has been interesting, just interacting with fans of different fan bases. So we got actually a couple of questions from this group. Um, which is, it's always interesting to get kind of a different viewpoint, right? We get so enclosed in this MSU bubble. So to get some Rutgers fans, to get some Nebraska fans, to get some Penn State fans to, to just kind of talk about their perspective of the program is interesting. Um, this guy in our group chat, just, just, I don't know if he's listening. If you are Aaron, uh, speaking directly to you, and I've told you this directly, um, he has this vendetta against Mel Tucker that I really don't understand. It's it's like he personally kicked his dog. Um, just some of the comments he's been making. But the question is, why was Mel Tucker completely unprepared to coach the first game of the 2020 season? Is that a sign of things to come? I think anybody who's listening to this podcast knows the circumstances he walked into. Yeah, Aaron, you, you had Greg Schiano at Rutgers, who was also in the first year. You know when he was hired? Like three months before Mel Tucker. And that makes such a big difference. It's Mel Tucker walked into a... And and look, that, that game, you can say, was unexcus- inexcusable and, and everything. We turned the ball over seven times, man. We had Rocky Lombardi starting at quarterback. I, I mean, and he, and he still barely won that game. I just... Um, <laughs> I read this and I'm like, okay, any Michigan State fan that that sees this question is just going to laugh because you're like, oh, you mean the the coach who was hired after signing day in a pandemic and never was able to get spring football was unprepared in the first week of the season? Uh, wow, shocker. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wanted to bring that up for everybody, but silly question. Uh, Pudge Weebles, Pudge Webbles. Uh, his bio, his Twitter bio just says, I am a cat. The Twitter profile is a picture of a cat, a very, very good looking cat. I might add just adorable. Um, Pudge Weebles or Webbles? I'm going to go with Weebles, Pudge Weebles. He asks, who do you see, if anyone, as a potential early departure to the NFL after next season? Probably nobody, but Shakur Brown did it, so anybody could do it. I I mean, we've seen surprises every single year from every single program. I I definitely didn't see Shakur Brown leaving early, so if we're going to take that into consideration, I guess you know it's possible for any of these guys. So I did take a look. I think there are three guys who would still surprise me but it wouldn't totally shock me coming off of a great year. Those are Kalon Gervin, Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor. 
if any of those three guys had a, another great year and left, I, I would still be a little bit surprised, but I wouldn't be totally shocked because they've all shown flashes of NFL talent and they're all red shirt juniors. So they've been in college football for four years. They can look at the approach of like, man, it's it's time to go get paid if I can. So Kalon Gervin, Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor, I think those are the only three real possibilities. Anybody else would blow me away surprise. Uh, Deshaun Mallory, Jalen Hunt, J.D. Duplain, Jarrett Horst. Like I just, maybe those are NFL guys, but they're not leaving early for the NFL guys. They're just not people we've seen enough from at this point. So there's three guys, Gervin, Reed, and Naylor, I think are possible. I would still be surprised if anybody did, though, to be honest. So uh, next question we have from it's your boy 41 dave racy uh in a hypothetical game of driveway basketball during your youth who would you pretend to be and he tagged our guy marshall so um yeah this this comes from our phenom games back in the day so uh dave racy marshall hart jake widmer dave dolzo danny myers uh evan andreski brendan mcclory we we this this was kind of our our group in high school and we had uh dave racy's house there was uh he had a basketball hoop in the driveway you know as, as a lot of people do and we would lower the thing down to eight eight and a half feet and it was the the driveway was slightly slanted as well uh we played basically like three on three basketball we called it phenom was the league and there was there was a lot of different body types. We had Jake Widmer, who was what six six, uh, big dude, offensive tackle. Uh, would just just grind it out in there. Uh, you had Dave Racy, who was by far the best player. I uh, played. He he could have played college football if he committed to it. Dave, if if you're listening, I know you know this. Uh, in hindsight. We goofed off quite a bit in high school, but I think if Dave really committed at that time, Marshall and I have talked about this, you know, separately without without you there again, if you're listening, that he, you're he was such a good athlete that I, I think fully committing to football, he he could have made a hell of a safety somewhere in college football, uh, but just a, an incredible athlete. And if you had Dave on your team, you were probably winning. Um, I, I would say Dave was like the Tracy McGrady, the, the young Tracy McGrady with the bunnies, uh, you know, just could, could hop out of the gym, dunk it over at anybody. He also had a nice little jump shot on the eight and a half foot rim, uh, which, which was a difficult transition. Some people could do it. Some people couldn't. Uh, Marshall was more of the, uh, it, was, it was the the undersized forward, the Dewan Blair at at Pitt. If you, if you guys remember Pitt basketball back in the day, Dewan Blair he had like two torn ACLs. He couldn't really get up there, but fundamentally sound, tough. You know, knew where the ball was coming off the glass. Could could get in position for rebounds, putbacks, and had some had a nice handle. So I, I think that would, that would be a good player comp. I was the. Yeah, I now I'm not saying I'm Dirk Nowitzki here. Maybe, maybe a, a, I was a stretch four. I, I was tall. I'm about six three. 
but I was a shooter. I, I could get in a little bit doing some dirty work, but that, that wasn't regularly where you're going to find me. I, I was hanging around the outside. So maybe not a Dirk Nowitzki, but maybe like a Maxi Kleber in Dallas right now or, uh, or current Brooke Lopez, where he's just he's hanging around the three-point line. So that, that was my game. But man, yeah, those, those were some good times. Have a hot and ready ready after the game, but uh, yeah, if, if anybody remembers those days from back in back in the day, you lower the hoop down to eight and a half so everybody could dunk except for Danny and Dave. Um, that that was uh, those were some good times. Last one here, getting back to MSU football, and we'll wrap this thing up. Carolina Husker at Husker Tom, nineteen ninety seven. Clearly, a Nebraska Cornhusker fan who is hopefully. Uh, listening to the show, we always appreciate our out of out of uh, not out of conference, out of team in conference foes listening to the podcast. Uh, who is going to be your number one wide receiver? So you know this might say, yeah, like somebody's not really following the program, okay. But even for somebody who is a Michigan State fan, this could be a tough question because. It, obviously, it comes down to two guys. It's Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor. But I guess it de- depends on your definition of a number one wide receiver. Last year in 2020, Jaden Reed led the team in receptions. Jalen Naylor led the team in yards and touchdowns. I think we're going to see something a bit similar again this year. I think the general sentiment of the fan base is that Jaden Reed is is kind of the number one. He is literally number one now on his jersey. Uh, and I think there's a lot of hype for him coming into the year. But I also don't want people to forget of, in, in hyping up Jaden Reed, which I think he absolutely deserves. I don't want us to forget about how great Jalen Naylor has been when he's healthy. And he was healthy all of last year and put together a hell of a season. So... I think assuming health, we're going to get a, a pretty darn good one-two punch there. And so differentiating one versus two in this offense, I think is going to be really difficult. So yeah, between those two guys, 100%, it's it's going to be one of them. But who is it going to be, Jaden Reed or Jalen Naylor? I, I think just depends on your definition. Is, is it who's going to get more targets? That's your number one wide receiver? Probably Jaden Reed. But is it who the defensive coordinator has to game plan against the most? Who the offensive coordinator is trying to scheme in to get involved in the game plan as as kind of that just general threat? Might be Jalen Naylor. So I, I think this really just depends on your definition of, of a number one wide receiver. Hope everybody enjoyed riding solo again here, you know, kind of getting my my wheels back from previously when I was only doing it by myself. Um missing Scott, of course. Well, he'll be back next week and we'll get some content rolling. One of the things that that we've decided to do or that I don't even know if I've told Scott that we're going to do, but I have decided we're going to do is drafting the current roster. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I think that's a, we did the snake draft with the decade draft. So if you're looking for like good off season content, go back in the Spotify or Apple playlist. And there's two episodes titled decade draft. And we went back and forth snake draft style. You know, if you play fantasy football, 
um, and drafted the best players of the last decade of Michigan State football to to create our teams right in, in a hypothetical matchup to see who would who would come out on top right so you had your Kirk Cousins versus Connor Cook debate you had your you know uh uh Antoine Simmons versus uh, Joe Bocci type, you know, there was a lot of fun discussion points, Johnny Adams versus, uh, you know, a Trey Waynes or something like that. There, there were a lot of fun discussions. It was classic offseason content, but it was a lot of fun. And I want to take that same kind of style and put it towards just this roster. So I think that's going to be a fun one. We're going to have in the next couple of weeks here. I don't know exactly when, but you'll, you'll, Definitely know it when we do it because we'll put out some advice or uh, some requests on Twitter for for what you guys think. But yeah, drafting back and forth. Are you going to take Anthony Rousseau or Peyton Thorne? What's the strategy, right? What are the strong position groups that you can wait to draft towards the end? We'll do an offense. We'll do a defense. And, and you're going to have to, that, that's where we start. You know, we, we get into talking about all the starters so often that I think it's really fun to do exercises like this because it requires you to draft potentially backup players, right? There's only a couple of of offensive tackles that you would want starting on your team, but there's going to be four offensive tackles that are going to have to be used in this draft. So we're going to have to figure out, okay, who's the who's the third or fourth offensive tackle that you would feel comfortable putting into a game? So I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. I've a little bit started preparing for it, getting a big board together, but we have a lot of fun off-season content coming up, so don't don't you worry about that. We got, as you're listening to this on Monday, we are Bubba Smith days away. We're 95 days away from Michigan State football, and I couldn't be more excited about it. We're going to keep giving you content the whole off-season, so subscribe if you haven't already. And please, please, please share this with your friends. Share this with your MSU um, classmates, with your your old MSU buddies, with your your current MSU buddies if you're at Michigan State now. Uh, We really enjoy this, and we really appreciate the feedback, all of the support, all of the interactions on social media. It's been a lot of fun for us. So we're going to keep this thing rolling forever uh, until we both croak. We are going to have the Standing Room Spartans podcast. So with all of that, again, to the troops, to the veterans, to, to everybody who has served the ultimate sacrifice, we really appreciate that. To the families of those people, you know, we we between Scott and I both, he wanted to make sure we get this message out that you know, as as we celebrate Memorial Day and we all have a good time, we all are drinking beer on a boat on a lake somewhere. Um, you know, take a take a moment to remember what this day is all about. And I hope you did that. And I hope you're back to work feeling refreshed and have yourselves a great week. So until next time, go green, go white. Take care, folks. <laughs>